0: Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of professional wrestling, Jim Ross. What's going on, Jim? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good.
1: I'm uh, I'm feeling well. Uh, I got a lot of exercise today. I sat in one lounge chair at my pool for at least an hour in the boiling sun of Oklahoma, 95 degrees. And then, hold your breath down, restart. I got up and walked about 10 yards and sat down did a couple of squats in another lounge chair. But you think, well, that's, nobody could endure more than that. Not even a triathlete like JR. So I got my fat ass up, did a couple of squats in the way. And what's kind of funny, nice, funny visual. Then I sat back down in my original lounge chair and I thought I had a hell of a workout. So I'm doing good today. I've, I've had a shower. I've made a mule. I'm good, man. Life could not be better.
0: Well, we're hoping to make everybody else's life a little better today because we've got an interesting topic. We're going to be going back 15 years to the day to revisit the WWE from 2004. Specifically, we're going to be covering vengeance, 2004, which went down 15 years ago today, but of course we never just talk about the wrestling card. We're going to talk about the goings on behind the scenes. And if you're wondering what's next, well, we've got an answer for you. We're looking forward to the next episode and. Jim, you and I talked off air. You think next week's episode is one of your favorite pay-per-views you were ever involved in of all time.
1: Absolutely. Uh, it was, uh, it was the Calgary, uh, Calgary stampede event at the, there in Calgary, Canadian stampede titled the, we, it's one of those deals where we don't give the audience that, that buy a ticket and make their way to the arena enough credit when they are emotionally invested. And they're uninhibited, and they're and they're and they're looking forward to being a, a participant as, as that loud, boisterous fan. Uh, we forget how important that is. And that night was as good a uh, live event audience as I ever heard. You know, the arena's not huge, but it was, it was not a good crowd 12,000. But boy, that crowd was just on fire. And the other thing that was interesting that day was watching Pat Patterson eat a giant turkey leg.
0: <laughs> so stay tuned for next week. We're going to revisit Canadian stampede. One of the best pay-per-views ever from July of 1997. But before we talk about this week, let's talk about last week. Jr., what was the feedback you got from great American bash 1990.
1: So many fans <clears throat> that I perceive were in their when they well, currently are in their thirties or forties, uh, maybe forties, but they were teenagers. They were influenced, influential Influ- easily influenced young men and women, mostly men that said they listened to our show and it took them right back to the spot, right back to where they knew they were sitting on the couch, right where they remember what they had for dinner. I mean, it was some crazy stuff, man. So, uh, it, so overall it's positive. I, 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 think our numbers represented that people liked it. And, uh, so, you know, all in all uh, a win if the audience likes it and they tell their neighbors about it and then know that we're just not another you know, bullshit artist, uh, wrestling, uh, podcast, then maybe others will give us a shot and like what they
0: hear. I sure hope so. And we hope that you're telling your friends and leave us in a review and, uh, spreading the word that Jim Ross has a new format, revisiting all the great moments in professional wrestling history. And today is going to be no exception vengeance, 2004. Uh, it's an interesting time in the company. WCW has gone. ECW has gone. Uh, it's all just a a one man band at this point, I guess you could count NWAT and a, but they weren't really making headway at this point. Uh, they may have had a Fox sports deal, uh, coming, but they're in the afternoon. They're not prime time. It's a totally different ball game from some of the years prior we've, we've talked about here on the show. This one goes down July 11th, Hartford civic center right there in Connecticut, Draws 7,000 fans. It got a 0.55 buy rate, which is about 240,000 buys. It's the fourth vengeance that we've ever seen on pay-per-view. And this is during the brand split era. So this is a raw branded pay-per-view. Um, you were able to attend these pay-per-view events for both raw and SmackDown. Was there a different vibe backstage for these shows Did raw have a different feel, not in front of the camera, but behind the scenes?
1: I don't think so. Conrad, not really, uh, uh, raw was still a scene as the, the big brother. Uh, the, the alpha male of those two shows because of its tenure, not because it was a better show or not. is all subjective anyway. But there's uh, not really anything, anything different. Uh, my day was much different because instead of preparing for a broadcast that I was going to be uh, a part of as a talent, I was a, preparing for the broadcast to be a producer of the talent. And I helped, uh, with the, with the announcers there and, you know, get their, uh, get their, their points together, get organized with their notes, their background stuff and, and be supportive as best you could. So, uh, that was a little different, but none of the, the vibe was still the basically the same, the same cameramen, same TV people, same staff, you know, same office people. So not really anything different.
0: Let's keep it moving and talk about the backstory that we're coming off of to get to this show vengeance, bad blood was the most recent pay-per-view we would see triple H defeat Shawn Michaels in a hell in a cell match there. And Chris Benoit would retain his world title defeating Kane at this point. You know, we're just on the heels of WrestleMania 20. There's this big crowning moment, uh, where Benoit becomes the man, just a handful of months removed from it. At this point, do you think the Benoit title reign is. Meeting expectations of the chairman or not so much?
1: Well, for the chairman, Ben Wall is the kind of guy that prevents to really embrace. Benoit's got to deliver in an extraordinary way financially. In other words, he obviously has to be monetized to the maximum of his abilities as far as selling tickets, being on the like, featured events to sell pay-per-views, a merchandise, et cetera, et cetera. As far as Chris Benoit, the wrestler, bell to bell, being the right guy for that job, to me there was no doubt, no question whatsoever about that. Uh, but I think Vince's issue—it comes back to that same old deal—the size matters. And you know, Chris is five nine, maybe five ten max, I guess. And uh, I thought he was just amazing I, when we signed him. I was rejoicing. We signed him under my watch, and I was very he. He and all those guys, Eddie and Perry, uh, and uh, Dean. I'm good seeing Dean Malenko now at the uh, uh, AEW tapings and the TVs. I should say TVs or everything's live. Uh, he's doing well. As a good agent, great mentor, He does great things. So I just want to mention that. But uh, no, I, I Wall was a guy. He was a freak of nature, man. Some of his matches are just awe-inspiring, and nobody talks to him about it much now because I obviously understand the political nature of Chris uh, murdering his son and his wife and committing suicide, being obviously, you have got to be a Mensa member to figure this one out. It's not a great thing to talk about. And this is exactly when I talk to others about does Chris Van deserve to go into the Hall of Fame. Well, first of all, it's not my call to say who does or does not deserve to be in any Hall of Fame. But I can tell you this, I, and I know this in my heart of hearts, that if Chris Van could tell us and someone asked, should you go into the Hall of Fame? He would say no. Because it would cause too much of a distraction because a story about. Chris Benoit's career would be overshadowed and punted to the sideline by the devastation of the last 24 to 48 hours of his life.
0: Let's uh, let's talk about where the business is for the company at the time. They're going to release financial data for the fourth quarter of the fiscal year 2004, which is going to tout an increase in revenues over the fourth quarter from the prior year of 21 million dollars. Uh, Specifically, they're showing the latest buy rate figure for WrestleMania 20 to be 885,000, which is a strong increase over WrestleMania 19. It's up like 55%. And it's obviously going to greatly increase the pay-per-view revenue. The extra pay-per-view Royal Rumble draws 582,000 buys, which is also uh, up 15 to 20%. I say extra because we've got more pay-per-views in this quarter than we did in the prior year. Your home video release income is also way up from 8 million to 11.1 million. When these numbers start to come in, is this telling the story that business is turning around or, you know, it's not necessarily the case that there's more fans here, but we figured out a way to wring more cash out of the fans that are passionate.
1: I think that, uh, it meant that the Chris Benoit on five, nine or 10 experiment was a successful mission fans wanted to see different things in the ring as long as the bell-to-bell content and the performance level uh, stayed uh, exemplary for the WWE level, the top of the line, you know, the big league type deal. So, uh, I think that what it told me was that the fans were ready for a little different presentation. And so we needed to kind of tweak our offense a little bit, everybody needed to we need to tweak what we're doing, become more versatile, be open-minded enough to do new things that would fit our skill set. It's not all of a sudden you're going to say, well, uh, Mark Henry's going to become a high flyer, you know, uh, and he lists, he lists our, our podcast, Mark, great broadcaster on uh, busted open there on Sirius with Dave LaGreca do a phenomenal job, but that'd be like saying, Mark, we're going to, the styles are changing. You got to come back and learn to do a couple of hurricane runners and a head scissors. Can you handle that? Okay, I'll see you later. But well, ain't gonna happen. That'd be like asking a refrigerator to do a drop kick. Ain't gonna happen. <laughs> and it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't even be asked. So that was the deal. I thought what it's to, it told me that fans had piqued their interest again in some personalities whose in ring style warranted what we were looking for a more hard hitting athletic presentation. Much like you've heard talked about with AEW, hard hitting, athletic, dr- 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 dramatic at points, with a great story. Based in reality, if possible. So that's what we were looking for. And I think we we found that. The problem in this whole thing is, look how long the reign of Chris Benoit was, and him him at his uh, at his uh, peak. I, I think that was cut short. Just my, my take on it. And again, I know it's not the topical thing to to discuss, but you can't ignore history unless you're an idiot. It's a matter of how you present it. I think we're presenting it correctly.
0: Yeah. I do want to mention that, um, business is not up across the board. Your average attendance is actually down in North America. You go from 6,000 in this quarter of 2003 to 5,000 in this quarter of 2004, International attendance is down a little bit, but only about 500 fans. Television advertising was also down a little bit, but Wade would explain that part of the reason that's happening is because of the way ads have been sold on SmackDown. Uh, merchandising is actually up, uh, from 20 million to 25.7 home video way up. As we mentioned, 3.1 to 11.1. But a big reason to that is you guys put out the Monday Night War DVD and it sold 118,000 units in that quarter. Compared that to WrestleMania 20, it only sold 114,000 units. So the Monday Night War DVD actually outsold WrestleMania, which is really telling you that there is a lapsed fan movement beginning. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. And the Monday Night War uh, scenario is more interesting than the, the other DVD.
0: It's amazing too. When you look at the the revenues of the company just 15 years ago and know now that this is a multi-billion dollar company, but in 2004 revenues are 374.9 million in 2003, it's 374.3 million. So while you may say, oh, well, attendance is down and ratings are down. Revenues are actually just a little bit up, not enough to make a major difference uh, to the bottom line, but enough adjusting behind the scenes to make sure that we're still on the right course. And the Motley Fool would analyze the latest financial statement. And they would say, when it comes to ringing out profits, WWE is clearly at the top of its game. The question for investors is whether they're willing to buy into a company with such a murky revenue picture. For my own part, I suspect revenues will remain in a slow growth phase for a while. But on the other hand, wrestling ain't ain't going nowhere anytime soon. So I'm confident that there will be a few nasty downside surprises. So as long as WWE keeps a headlock on costs and continues to reward investors with a dividend and ample free cash flow, I'd be glad to keep it on my tag team. And if an investor uncertainty drops the price over the next few months, that would help seal the deal. But if you get in the ring with these brutes, keep your eyes peeled. A big drop in revenues, like a folding chair to the back of the head could change the direction of the match in a flash. So they're trying to write it there a little tongue in cheek, <laughs> but the idea is they feel like wrestling's uh, going to be around for a while, and they feel like WWE has done a great job of managing their costs and trying to maximize their profit. When a report like this comes out, is it high fives around the office?
1: Well, first of all, we want to acknowledge the skill of Metaphor Man because Metaphor Man that content that text that you just read is dropping every reference wrestling reference he knows yep. into his piece. So. He ladies and gentlemen is metaphor, man. Uh, I've always, I said this on a lot of stories and it's not a very good answer. I can add to it or subtract from it, but the bottom line of this deal is I had a routine, I had a schedule. My every week had so had great similarities and the, and great predictability to be unpredictable. I knew where I was going to be every Monday and every Tuesday, every Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock, you know, I, I knew all those t- things because it, my job fit in those, those recently built, uh, you know, standards type thing. So for you know, braces, like for a house, here's your, fr- your framework. So I'm trying to say, God damn it. And so, you know, I, it didn't change a lot. That's why I never got, I never got despondent over uh, Eric's 83 weeks. I didn't have time to get what we're we going to do, go to the bar and have a couple, have another extra drink because they beat our ass again. Are you kidding? I just want to get my fat ass home and eat my wife's cooking because tomorrow's another day right. and Monday night's another night. You can't get too high on the great ratings. You can't get too low, to, low on the bad ones. It just doesn't make sense in a world where it's all about what's hot today.
0: Right. Well, what's hot is uh, everything happening with uh, JBL uh, we should mention, this is the, the, the moment in time where he gets himself in trouble over in Germany. Uh, he works for CNBC. He's a contributor there. And, uh, on June 18th, he does, uh, an interview on the Howard Stern show where he's going to defend the Nazi <laughs> gestures that he did in Germany. Quote, I can make fun of everybody I can. And he described his character as a cross between J.R. Ewing, Pat Buchanan and David Duke. And he said his role as an actor is similar to that of an actor in a movie quote. This is like saying Anthony Hopkins is culpable for being Hannibal Lecter. And he blamed his being fired on CNBC quote, some little guy that had a pro wrestling website emailed the network. And, uh, he did say that he was not at all in favor of the actions of Nazi Germany, which seems silly to even mention. But when you first hear, Hey, uh, Bradshaw's, done something silly and there's a little bit of pushback we're going to have to cut him loose is the understanding when that comes down that hey we're just doing this to see why we're going to bring him back shortly
1: well i could tell you i didn't think that <clears throat> when i first heard it that there would be that much of a uh, disturbance about it because john was being advertised to, to appear and was performing as his character who was a a, a detestable villain on television week in and week out that we have seen to go to any cost to achieve his success. And, and he's an articulate guy for it, but he's a big mouth Texan. Is that in that character? I didn't think anything about it, man. I, I really didn't. And then all of a sudden, well, it's a big deal. And, and I think, is it a big deal here in the Northeast where I live in Connecticut, or is a, is it a big deal everywhere? Cause I'm betting you somewhere in Oklahoma or Texas, they don't give a shit. They don't, they got bigger things to do, like earning a living and buying groceries. So, uh, I never, I didn't understand. Now I understand the, the, the gravity of, I do it. I'm not by any stretch, uh, uh, Adolf Hitler fan. I don't have any of his memorabilia. I don't watch his movies. I'm, I'm done with that guy. He's a, he's a, he's, he's a goddamn devil. So why would I even spend time studying about the devil? I don't want to visit where he lives. I got other plans. So, I uh, I thought a lot was made out of it, Conrad, in the early going, but I understand the sensitivities of it, and if I was a Jewish man, I'm I might be even more affected. I was offended by the the Nazi the Nazi movement is horrible. There's no good about it, is there? I can't find any. So uh, I I think that uh, you know it was a it was a sensitive deal. You're dead if you do it. Dead if you don't. It's a hot button. It, so "Well, if you don't do anything, then you don't, you're 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 disconnecting from your Jewish audience." Really? If you do something, uh, then you know is he getting his First Amendment right as uh, or Second Amendment right violated? And has was he in, in in his character of a television personality, which is what I. I say John Layfield is too smart and too street smart and, and, and formally educated smart to do something like that in a, uh, an anger Conrad or in, you know, he did it in the sake of entertainment and, you know, being a little stiff was his character. So I, I don't agree with it obviously in real life, but we're not talking about real life here. Right. His name his name's not JVL by the way, folks. Sure. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how I looked at that deal.
0: Let's talk about um, something Wade Keller wrote. He says WWE plans to tape editions of Raw and SmackDown about once every three months overseas. Linda McMahon announced the news in her investor press conference this week, and the decision is in part a scheduling convenience as it will allow WWE to run a full week's worth of shows overseas without worrying about rushing back for Raw and SmackDown. It's also a sign that there aren't enough surefire sellouts in the U S for raw and SmackDown and larger arenas, whereas WWE is confident it can draw larger crowds overseas for its events, which are deemed as important by overseas fans, more so than just regular house shows that overseas fans are aware. Don't generate much news or include mu- include much in the way of newsworthy happenings. The first tour will be in the United Kingdom in October. This is a significant adjustment because for years, the WWE has just primarily been focused in North America and would pop overseas once or twice. And the rest of the time they're just hanging out here in the U S and bouncing all over, but they've started to see crowds fall as we talked about on average, going from 6,000 to 5,000, but abroad you're at 8,400. So you can sell significantly more tickets. Uh, and they think they can even build upon those because they were primarily taking house shows. Now they can take television. Everybody knows that's where the stuff happens. That's where news is made. That's where debuts happen. That's where titles change hands. What do you think of this idea? And were you a fan of it when, when it was announced?
1: Absolutely. Big fan of it because it took us to do markets, uh, fresh audiences, audiences that, that weren't burnt out. They weren't in Allentown or, uh, uh, the other spot there, they used to take WWE used to take TV at for years and years and years, they weren't Shreveport. Or we did Mid South television forever. Uh, Memphis, it was their markets that weren't burned out. They were new and fresh. And, uh, the brand had a good footprint television wise. So it would it just makes sense that you want to monetize that television investment. You're producing a show, you're providing it to a carrier at that time. I think it was sky sports. And, uh, so yeah, they had the footprint to do it, to promote. So why not? And anyway, I thought it worked out really well, especially when we went to the, you work several dates, several house shows leading in or coming out of your television. And then the, the sensitivities have got to always be on the front side and the back side, of those tours, uh, to where you're not running the horses till they just want to drop before they get on that international flight. Be sensitive of their time off and their ability to recoup before they venture over. And then, because you've already got your TV done on the road, you don't have to come back and do television. You've already got it done. So then you can start your tour, either give the guys off that following weekend or you start late, which all those things will be taken into consideration. But I thought it was a real good thing. And you know, our plane ride from hell didn't work out so great, but nonetheless, uh the actual investment of it when people act like professionals has been very successful.
0: Hey man, let me give you a little life hack just in time for Mother's Day and Father's Day. I'm talking about paintyourlife.com. That's the place where you can get a gift that mom or dad will never forget. Real quick, do you remember what you got mom or dad last year for Mother's Day or Father's Day? Well, here's how you give a gift that they'll never forget. You find something that's meaningful, something that's personal. Maybe we're talking about their mom or dad who's no longer here. Maybe it's about a long-lost relative. Maybe it's about their favorite pet who's no longer with us. Maybe there was always this dream that mom and dad were going to vacation to some exotic tropical island, but they never quite made it there. Well, all of those dreams can become reality at paintyourlife.com. You simply upload those photos. You can even use a photo right out of your phone. They can even help you combine photos to create one unique memory. You'll pick the artist. You'll even pick the medium. Hey, do you want an oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even pick the frame. The whole process is less than five minutes to get started. You can get it in as little as two weeks, but along the way, you work hand in hand to ensure that the artist is nailing it. They're getting exactly what you wanted, and you're going to get that reaction you wanted from mom or dad. I'm telling you, this has been a home run for me. I've used it for my mom, for my dad, for my father-in-law, for my cousin, for my wife, It's great for any occasion, but with Mother's Day and Father's Day right around the corner, how do we show the people who gave us everything that we really care? I don't think you can beat a meaningful gift like this from PaintYourLife.com. And if you're looking to give the best and most meaningful gift you've ever given, PaintYourLife.com can hook you up. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. You can get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Now, to get this special offer, just text the word ROSS to 87204. That's ROSS to 87204. Text R-O-S-S to 87204. Paint Your Life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Another day is here, and you're ready
1: for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Let's talk about another thing that's going on in this era. Way Killer would write that, Management is continuing to hold meetings prior to Raw and SmackDown, their television events. Whenever there's TV, they're going to get all the boys together and they're going to watch matches together and they're going to critique the videotape. With the idea being they want the wrestlers to tell better stories with their matches rather than resorting to what they're calling out of context high spots. And one wrestler is quoted to uh, Wade as saying, You'd be surprised how few wrestlers understand the art of working a match. Most of the wrestlers are memorizing virtually every spot in their matches and that's not working.
1: And they- Conrad, that was that was in two thousand four this is said. Yes. It's the same thing today. You can go in any locker room with these hard working men and women just out there trying to live their dream and make a damn living, and you're gonna see guys and gals sitting there memorizing match like it was that shakespearean presentation not taking into any account whatsoever of your audience the most important element of the entire presentation is taken out of the equation because we're going to memorize this damn thing and by god you're going to like it
0: yeah so, so the gist is you know if, if give them more of what they're buying but if you're not planning your next move based on how the crowd responded to the most recent one, then maybe you're not as in tune with the crowd as you could be. That's your perspective, right?
1: Right. Pretty much,
0: uh, way Keller would also say Steve Austin has decided against working for Japan's dream stage entertainment. According to one source, the company made Austin a lucrative offer, but he was concerned that his stock with WWE would drop if the Japanese shows didn't draw. Well, you're friends with Steve. What do you make a wage report here?
1: Well, uh, the I like the fact that he was reporting on some, somebody talked to Wade, some of the boy, one of the boys, probably more. and you know said that a lot of these guys, the younger guys know how to work spots. They execute a spot or a move. What a maneuver type thing. But most of them don't know how to connect the dots and take you on a psychological ride. That is required to be skilled at your profession in this world. So, uh, there's that Austin's thing. I don't think Steve ever seriously considered taking, making any kind of deal in Japan, uh, at, you know, at that point in time, I really don't, uh, obviously anybody that can get him in any tag match scenario, single match, gets somebody picks, whatever. Uh, you're going to, you're going to go after it because that's what you do. You sell tickets and merchandise and he does all those things guaranteed. So, but he, I don't think he ever had these, any seriousness about uh, that, that kind of inflated rumor at that time, but there was no doubt discussion. There was no doubt, you know, some dialogue back and forth, but I don't think it ever got to the serious level, uh, that it was even close to happening. It's just, he really never felt comfortable doing physicality after he got out. He he escaped, he dodged a hellacious bullet, man. People got to understand that, how big a bullet he dodged to get out of the damn business and not be in a wheelchair. And he stayed in great shape, and he's he's healthy right now. But, you know, him continuing, one more match could have been it. And so you you ask yourself, why would you even jeopardize your everyday life for one more match, for God's sakes? It sounds like you're writing a country song here. You know, put the damn towel up. You're killing me go home, y'all some money and SD that's his deal. He's always going to make money, but he's not going to put his health in jeopardy and and why should he? And why would anybody want to do that?
0: Wade is, uh, writing in the torch about, uh, the great American bash. And basically that there is an open acknowledgement from a lot of the roster about how terrible it was. He would write (laughs) wrestlers and members of management. know the show was a stinker. Jim Ross was especially vocal about not liking it and the quality of the talent featured on the show really frustrated a lot of wrestlers who feel colleagues of theirs with more experience deserve those pay-per-view shots like the Basham's or Stevie Richards or Val Venus or Maven or Nunzio, A-Train, Palumbo, London, and a number of others who have been on the sidelines lately. And the situation would be a lot less frustrating if the solution simply featuring better wrestlers already on the roster wasn't so obvious He says one wrestler told him it was lame. None of the undercard matches had any heat or drama. And there was no excuse for that with all the TV time they had to promote the show, another wrestler said the crowd could tell so many of those wrestlers weren't ready yet. They might not have been able to put their finger on why, but they could tell. And someone in the locker room was comparing it to magicians. You may not know why one magician is better than the other, but you can tell the good from the bad. And the crowd is more sophisticated than Vince realizes the kids today are different. They've been exposed to a different wrestling world who grew up watching wrestling, as opposed to those who watched WrestleMania one, one common thing among the locker room discussion was that Vince McMahon needs to spend less corporate profits on bonuses for himself and his family and more on investing in a much better developmental system. Quote, he can't keep sending the younger wrestlers to Ohio Valley to work in empty gyms six days a week and expect them to get it said one veteran And that setting, you can only learn how to do moves and get in good condition, but you can't really learn how to work. You need the crowd. You need to be put in a position to have to sell tickets and know what it takes week after week. And that's not happening right now. And Sunday, it was really obvious how damaging that is to the company. What's your take on that?
1: Well, obviously I must've been pretty vocal, uh, because to get, to get quoted in the torch. Um, uh, well, you know, I, I, was disappointed. It's something we talked about and talked about there and we'll get on, you know, there's no continuity, you know, Vince and I, when I got the job in talent relations, the thing we knew we had to do was to get like everybody else's locker room. I don't care what kind of sports entity you are, even a, what kind of entertainment entity you are in an ensemble cast, you want to stay young and athletic and talented, blah, blah, blah. So. We were always looking for the youth and the athleticism athletes, natural athletes who have had some success in an amateur world are understand the principles and the importance of being on a team. And you can't build a wrestling company unless you build a team that's comprised of your wrestlers. And that's it's it's imperative. It's not an option. Well, maybe we can. By the he's all right. He don't talk much. Oh, he's all right. He's he's not that friendly. Uh, it it don't work. Everybody's going to play a role in building the team. And I saw nothing about that. Those principles. The the show was lame. So guys doing the same spots, getting the same finishes, getting the same high spots that they usually miss. You know, it's just no imagination. Nobody want to try anything differently. And folks, if you watch wrestling today, no matter what, what company it is and you recognize a moose set that's about to take place, guess what? He's the guy or the gal is overusing it. When you can sit home and you're lazy boy and call the spots, what the hell's going on? Right. So, so I, I, uh, I that's what I think about that. I, I uh, you made another point I thought was good. Uh, I well, want these, these points you picked out.
0: Work, we to, working in binder. front of crowds and being able to sell tickets, you need the crowd instead of just working in an empty gym in Ohio Valley. I'm sure yeah. that's something you yeah. feel strong about.
1: Yeah. I very, and I, look, I am I was a big and still am to their, to Al Snow's version of Ohio Valley Rescue. They do a great job of training uh, young kids, young men and women there in Louisville. If you're interested in that kind of thing, I damn sure check that out. Uh, they'll treat you fair and honest and he won't lie to you. If you get in, you get all those, if you get all three of those traits in the wrestling world, you, you, you hit goddamn, uh, uh, gold and go embrace that. So, uh, but I was a big fan of o- Ohio Valley. They were part of my budget in the talent relations department. We subsidized Ohio Valley. You know, Jim Cornette was a good friend of mine still is. And, you know, and Danny Davis very well-respected veteran, great teacher. So we needed that. And then, then people said, well, how, how, how really, how good was it? Cause you know, they got the, that real slick, uh, uh, performance center. Now let me tell you how good that was. That in Ohio Valley produced these guys that we signed in one class, Brock Lesnar and John Cena and Randy Orton and David Batista and Shelton Benjamin, who, by the way, was the best pure athlete of the group. So that's what that little Ohio Valley produced, but to get better, you must work with talent that is better than you in front of a paying audience of any size and not in a gym in front of your in-laws.
0: Brock Lesnar in this era, did a uh, interview with ESPN where he says he wanted to be able to have money and, and not be poor, which is why he took the quick path to fame and riches, but in retrospect. He wishes he'd gone right into a tryout for the NFL. And, uh, that's yet another comment, which, uh, won't exactly endear him to his colleagues in the WWE ESPN would say that he had a multimillion dollar contract with WWE. And, uh, some folks are saying inaccurately that it was a $45 million contract. And in this same interview, he's denying using steroids. Which the Colts coach, Tony Dungy has backed up. I guess he saw a test. saw so his uh, urine. Yeah. Maybe even saw it coming at the, out at so, the
1: combine. It was at a strip bar. But it don't matter. <laughs> it was clean urine.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jr. You know, this is a sidebar and I, I'm probably going to get in trouble for it, but come probably on. probably will. Uh, I know Lesnar never failed the drug test, but come on. Like.
1: What Come do you expect? On. What do you want to say, Conrad? You I mean, throw my, throw me, throw me on the arresting sword. No, uh, I don't know the answer. I mean, I'm with you, man, but let me tell you something. Yeah. I looked at the, I saw his pictures. We recruited this kid for two years, man. Uh, Jerry Briscoe led the way and I supported him in every way that I could. I've made the financial offers. I, I gave him the numbers he wanted to hear to get him to sign. And he, as soon as the last day of class, which I doubt he was going to attend anyway, was over at Minnesota. He was on his way to Louisville where he promptly became the foreman of the ring crew and drove the ring truck. Uh, cause he knew how to drive a tractor and a, and a truck. And he's worked on a farm. But the point I was going to make was his dad's a moose. His dad is a big, rugged, powerful man. He ain't, I mean, I'm talking significant. Turn your head in, a, in, a, in an airport talk guy, thick, muscular, barrel chested. Hands look like catcher's mitts. So there's no doubt in my mind. This kid's not got great the de- 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 genetics, but because he sometimes got real ripped and all this other stuff, you got to wonder, was that just his diet? Can he do that? I can't do it. I can't even, I can't do anything. I can't walk by the goddamn, you know, the Milky Way stand without having wanting to have a candy bar. Damn.
0: No, I'm not, I'm not disparaging any of that. I just know that this rumor has always circulated around Lesnar. Because he's, he's failed UFC tests. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, he's had public failures. That's not a surprise. Uh, he was also arrested in 2001 for receiving steroids. They dropped the charges four months later because they said it was more of a vitamin type thing. I don't know how much involvement McDivitt had in that, but it did eventually go away. But when you get arrested for steroids and you fail UFC drug tests and you're still telling everybody, I don't take steroids. And apparently the drug testing policy these days excludes part-timers it's only for full timers. I've heard it, that it does seem like there is, and maybe that's all rumor and innuendo, maybe it's all bullshit, but isn't this one of those where there's smoke, there's fire type situations.
1: I don't know. And I really don't care. I, I don't care if they all do steroids. It's just I really, funny to me. That, I, just, I really don't. If you're doing things under doctor's care, he's not, he's not a, such a rogue and a maverick and the other metaphor I come up with here at the tip of my tongue, uh, that, that he would go into business for himself. And I mean, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be under doctor's care. No matter what he's doing, I'm thinking he's, he's his own investment. He's got to take care of the horse that's pulling the wagon here. And so I don't think that that would be a, a deal where he would be going to business for himself, as they say, but I don't know, uh, I'm, I'm with you though. I mean, his appearance, but he comes some really good stuff and dieting. And I don't know what else he's taking. Who knows?
0: Well, let's run through this too. What? <laughs> Who cares? I, exactly. I, I don't. I mean, some of my, some of my favorite wrestlers growing up freely and openly admit they took steroids, but it's become this taboo thing where you're just not supposed to talk about it. But I mean, there's a lot. I mean, steroids did not just disappear in wrestling. They may well, have fallen what,
1: out of what favor. If we, what if you, I like to just little game you play out, take out words and replace some other words, just indiscriminate words. All right. Sure. So you talk about, well, he's on steroids. I can understand if you said, well, he's on gonorrhea. Well, you know, uh. He uses the gonorrhea. He does. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's, he's way steep in the gonorrhea. Look at him. <laughs> it's a gonorrhea guy. What can you believe? In this, you know, that kind of, it's just, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're getting doctor's care and somebody's looking after you and you're looking after your own health and it makes you feel better. Hey man, I, what one of the discoveries I've made is the, uh, testosterone implant and I swear by it. I've had, you uh, know, every six months, Yeah, you're, had, you're talking about
0: TRT, right? Testosterone it, replacement therapy.
1: Yeah. I load that, uh, I get 2,400 milligrams every, uh, every six months or five months, depending on how I feel. And it gives me energy and, and, and I get my memory back and I sleep better. Everything's better. So if if that so why should I deprive myself of that at this stage of my life? There's no reason to do to, to deprive yourself of it, and that's why I said with those guys that do this do the gas. As long as you're using your your brains and center doctor's care, and you're not looking you know blowing yourself up like the the uh, the Goodyear blimp or or you know the subway guy, then why not? Why not? It's and some people are like, oh God, I can't believe you said that. Think about it. Under doctors' care, that's what I'm saying here.
0: Of course, so. listen. Moderation's the key to life. Um, this there's a story. This ESPN story. I Man, it's got so many layers to it. But one of the things discussed is his April motorcycle accident, where he broke his jaw, uh, fractured his left hand, severely pulled his groin, suffered some tissue damage in his lower abdomen, and his testicles are bruised and swollen for weeks.
1: And- oh my God! How big were they? <laughs>
0: When, uh, they were massive, he and his agent downplay this to the media. They don't want it to hurt his chances at the league. And he says about his, uh, shot at the NFL, which ESPN is painting as a long shot quote, this is not some half-assed shot to see what I can do and try to make the NFL for me, this is balls out 100%. And I plan to knock the snot out of somebody. There you go. What'd you think? A, Did you, a boy, Tiger. he didn't play in college. Uh, did you think that he had any chance? I mean, obviously he's a a freak of nature, but you follow football closely. Would you have categorized this as a long shot at best as well?
1: Long shot at best, but doable. And he made it down to, I think the next to the last guy cut. Yep. So he got really, really close and that's without playing no football since your South Dakota class two, a, I think it was two, a high school days. He did like he came from a big school football powerhouse. Uh, he came, he came from uh, a small town and a small school and didn't play football again. He's done. It's an amazing accomplishment to get that far, which speaks to the fact he but was earlier with the steroid thing. He's a special athlete, man.
0: Yeah.
1: He really is a special, special athlete. Uh, I used to think that I think that between him and Billy Gunn, they were probably two guys or. All, a little bit off the record as far as being able to run and jump, basic athletic skills that you don't always equate to wrestling, but to, just like in the gym, uh, just to run and jump, which i seen them both do, they're both amazing. And Brock for 280, 300 pounds to do all that is absolutely scary. It's terrifying.
0: The other thing that comes out in the article is, uh, his discussion about fighting. He says, if it was legal and I wouldn't get in trouble, I'd pick a fight on every street. If I wouldn't lose any money or nothing, I would fight. I'd fight every day. Now, of course we know, uh, he's going to be on the money because not too terribly long after this, when the NFL doesn't work out, he jumps in MMA and that worked out. Uh, one of the things that ESPN observed here though, that, and I can't believe this made the news, but it was ESPN.com's cover story. They're, they're talking about an incident where they have a reporter uh, witness Lesnar lashing out at a female fan. The woman tells Lesnar that a male friend of hers thought she thought he was cute. And he replied, uh, amidst a burst of swearing It's written. I don't like the gays. Write that down in your little notebook. I don't like gays. Uh, obviously he didn't know he would be quoted. He didn't know that this would make the news, but this is, uh, a PR nightmare at this point, is it not? Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen.
1: Not good. Yeah, it's not good. No, it's just, you should have said it. But he has no him. Brock Lesnar's a such a unique guy. He's very, he's uh, very unique to follow and to be a fan of. But uh, he is uh, has no filter. And now that he has found financial security and stability, he really don't give a shit. Right. And the other thing is, he doesn't back away or back down from anybody. Uh, in a discussion or a physical confrontation, that's who he is. And if people say, well, I don't understand that you're right. You can't understand it because you're not that. And here's another sidebar for you. You'll never be that. They come along maybe once in a lifetime. Maybe you have, you find a couple of guys like that, that just all, they're all inspiring and everything that they do from the get go, you know, here's a t- Here's a 275 pounder who was doing shooting star presses and in, in Ohio Valley wrestling, which I asked, I went crazy. I said, what the hell are we doing? Are we crazy? You don't have to be doing that. So anyway, he's a, uh, he's special. I'm telling you, he really is special. And you see his body change suit based on how he trains.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you he, he, you he never... gets lean for fighting,
1: you know, and he bulks up for wrestling a little bit until somebody says in the locker room, Hey man, are you gaining weight? Then, he'll. You know, You'll see that he needs to to get cut a little bit. So that's the, that's the, the alpha male in him. And he is a legitimate alpha male. Let me tell you,
0: let's talk about, uh, a couple other guys who are going to butt heads Wade Keller would report that Mick Foley is said to be extremely upset with the negative comments made by Ric Flair, in his autobiography. That's now in stores. Apparently he feels a bit betrayed that Vince McMahon would allow such harsh comments to be published in an official WWE publication. Especially since Foley has been more diplomatic in his books regarding current WWE talent that he may have had harsh words for. And apparently it's to the point that Foley isn't returning phone calls for anyone with WWE. Uh, I think most people remember Flair called Mick a glorified stunt man. It upset Mick to the point that here in my hometown of Huntsville, Alabama, at a Monday night raw taping, uh, Foley's gonna try to confront Flair and catering and things go south from there.
1: Yeah, I said there. I was sitting there trying to have a quiet lunch in beautiful Huntsville, Alabama, begging for some barbecue. Let me feel like somebody got a piece of cornbread for this brother. What's going on? And then I see them on the far other side of the little cafeteria, walking towards each other to like, you know, two aging gunfighters uh approaching the dead the, the uh you know, down the thoroughfare there in Deadwood. Hey, I got that. I got the guy's name right now, uh, Seth Bullock, a Twitter, Twitter, Twitter follower, correct on the sheriff at Deadwood. I, I've got all those episodes. It's the only thing I have on my, uh, my little TV app gimmick on my iPod, the only show is every episode of Deadwood. I'm very one dimensional Conrad. I'm ashamed of myself, but where were we on this talk? Top, top? What were we talking about? Foley and about, flair
0: backstage. And oh
1: yeah. Yeah. So they're walking toward each other, these like, two gunfighters and then I think, uh, I think Rick was on the offensive and, uh, at first, and then Mick basically was uh, c- counter-punching or counter-scuffling, but it never got real out of hand, and it was very, very quickly broken up. So, you know, it'd be like, guys of my age, you know, you don't want anybody to break a hip or something here. So, uh, uh, but that's what happened there. It was very, it wasn't bloody brawl. It wasn't somebody it had somebody mounted and it wasn't, you know, great right hand, a big time left, you know, nothing like that. It was, it was just uh, a little bit awkward actually, but luckily nobody got hurt and, uh, here they are. They're so both uh, walking the face of the earth and doing all right.
0: What's your take on that? Should WWE have said, Hey, you can't say that. About Foley, or or is it better just to let the guys be themselves?
1: I I am going to lean toward the latter. Let the guys be themselves, without and hey look. It's, we're communicating here. It's being creative. It's supposed to be a creative company, so there's got to be creative ways to frame things that are not distasteful, and not eye rolling, that still tells the story. That's kind of what being a wordsmith is all about, figuring out how to frame in your story, using the words that you have at your disposal. So I think that, uh, you kind of got to let it go and, unless it's too far. Then you can figure a creative way to make it work. But certainly, uh, I think Mick said he saw that, uh, in a bookstore someplace, uh, the book, uh, and that's, I'm under the impression that Mick did not know about this quote in advance is that how you read it conrad
0: uh yeah i mean i think um when the book comes out somebody probably smartens him up he reads it and he's upset and yeah. uh, feels like it's a double standard because you know he's his assertion is he tried to take care of wwe folks when his book came out and
1: he did, know, he, he, did. He, he did he did a great job of that and but reading mixed writing in that tenor fit him to me he's not he's not a uh he's not full of venom and Vindictive and you know, vociferous. All, there's three Vs right there in a row. Uh but he's he's sincere. So when he's at his when he's writing at his sincere best, it very poignant to me. I think uh he did the right thing, but it's he should have been made aware of this, and the WWE should have been made aware that if Mick is that upset about it, and the only way he would have known that is to have a an advanced copy. So if you're what I would say from now on, I was if somebody's writing a book that you're publishing, uh then and it mentions another talent, that talent needs to be made aware of what it says. So if they have any issues with it, yay, nay, or indifferent, they have the opportunity to express themselves. Simple as that.
0: Let's talk about another Wade Keller report. This time it's about house shows and how it's caused for concern because there's been record low house show attendance this summer already. He would say most recent house shows have been drawing around a thousand fans, sometimes a bit lower and rarely ever more than 2000. And some of the buildings WB has been booking have been smaller arenas since they knew it would be low. But in general, these tiny crowds mean tiny payoffs for the wrestlers. And there's a handful of SmackDown house shows that are canceled in recent weeks and wrestlers would rather work, but they'd rather be canceled than work for nothing. And since their payoffs are often based on attendance, once they pay for their own hotel, food, and rental car expenses, some of the guys may actually wind up losing money on those events. Uh, the raw guys, the raw crew feel like they're in better shape than the SmackDown crew and the SmackDown crew is Concerned that maybe nothing will turn around, but hopefully when Kurt Angle and big show come back, that will make a difference. But some of the lower card wrestlers actually appreciate that when ticket sales are sluggish, some of the big stars lay out like triple H or Rick Flair, Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, Kurt angle. They would just not make that event, which means that they're not siphoning off a big cut of the gate and they get a better payday. This is all making a lot of sense when you start to think about. Hey, we're going to start going overseas once every three months, doesn't it? Not?
1: Yeah, but it, let me tell you, this uh, formula that Wade laid out there is not quite accurate. Uh, the The formula uh, in that era uh, of paying talent on a live event was was somewhat it was deceptively simple, but obviously because it was uh, discretionary, it had its complexities. If you had a house where the, the net, the net, meaning the number immediately after taxes, so the net house is a hundred grand, let's say. Okay. Well, you, the, normally the talent monies would be about 30 to 33%, sometimes 35, sometimes less for pay-per-views because of the revenue, uh, size. And the math, it all goes around that stuff. That's another story. So you got a hundred thousand dollar house, you got 30 grand, let's say for your, uh, your talent pool, the main event, would get 3% three for 30 grand, 3%, uh, or not 30 grand. Yeah. 30 grand times 3% is what? $900. Yeah. So both guys got if Two guys in the main event would get $900. Unless you're stone cold, you get 5%. And then if you're, uh. And but that would go, the same numbers are going to be put in that formula. No matter if all those guys were, that were, that, that were off that you read, that were off. So those big names and, and the pay scale did not so the formula did not change if they weren't there. So the main event on that card that they were not on is still get paid 3% of the net after taxes. So that's, if that, if that makes any sense to anybody. No, it makes, it's pretty, it
0: makes great it, sense. That, and I'm glad you're sharing it with us because. It's always been one of those great mysteries as a wrestling fan. You know, how does this work? I'm sure it's a mystery for a lot of the boys too, but you saying it's 3% unless you're stone cold and then it's five, that's a nugget of information that I don't think's ever been out there.
1: So, uh, well, it's just fact. And then the, you, the challenging part comes in and that's where you get to some of your, your friendly and some not so friendly discussions with your talent is when they don't, when they disagree with your uh, assessment of their value on the card. Because many of them don't take in consideration how much, how big is the pie that we're slicing up, and I can promise you that a thirty thousand dollar pie ain't very big. You got to pay off, you got to pay all the talent, all the managers, all the referees. Uh, so any any talent appearing before the live audience uh, on, a, on a live event, obviously we're talking about, has to be paid. So that's, that's kind of how that worked. And it was tough to, uh, it was discretionary. So there's no right or wrong. Right. So some, somebody could have me and say, I think I got a short chance of pay. I said, what are you basing it on? Then you find out, well, so-and-so said he got this. I said, well, so-and-so's lying. I said, go get so-and-so. Bring him into my office. Did you tell him he made blank for the show? Then they cover their mouth like little kids and laugh, giggle. Yeah. What'd you like to him? Oh, I just want to get a rise out of it. Well, you did. Here he is. Here you are taking up my time. That don't need to be uh, be relegated. You do knuckleheads. Uh, so there's uh, so you get that at the time. Guys get all stirred up, or they they get a call from their wife saying that they I just got the I just got the Mastercard bill. Holy God, honey. So. It's all—it's crazy. It's a whole different world in that payoff world. In that world. and I don't know how they're doing it now. to be honest with you, I really don't. I don't know if the guys are on these big downside guarantees. And they get that every week like a salary. And then how are the royalty—not the royalties—how are the bonuses for live events and pay-per-views? How are they factored in? It's another good question because the royalties are straightforward. I got a royalty check from them this week. I appreciate. It. Thanks, Vince. And uh, it needs to be a little bigger, but nonetheless, I appreciate it.
0: Let's go to the go home edition of raw right before vengeance, 2004, you and Lawler are going to open the show and, uh, you're going to say that Eugene is the GM for the night and he's going to make Jerry Lawler, Stacey Keebler, Tyson Tomko, Chris Jericho and Tajiri play musical chairs. And the winner gets a title shot. Jericho wins and Eugene reveals it's for the intercontinental title. What do you think of making Eugene the GM and musical chairs Would the cowboy have booked it that way?
1: I don't think so. Uh, I have, I love, uh, Nick Densmore. He's got a promotion in the, in the Dakotas, I think South Dakota. He married miss miss South Dakota. She's a B he'd really, out kicked his covers that rascal. He's got a good wrestling school. think the world of the guy, but he was a comedy act. Albeit a very talented comedy act, but he was a comedy act, and I thought we saw too much of him. I thought that we were onto something. He had, the, the gimmick had some legs, but it wasn't uh, a uh, decathlete's legs. It was a sprinter's legs, short distance, short length of time, in and out. But we started overexposing him, I thought, and uh, it it shortened his shelf life at the hands of the promotion, bad decision-making
0: next up. We've got law resistance getting a win over Rhino and Val Venus in about four and a half minutes. And the new gene going to tell evolution that he's going to team with Ric Flair against La resistance and vengeance and triple H comes out and is doing a promo about his title match with uh, Chris Benoit, the pay-per-view when edge interrupts and vows that he's going to take out evolution, one member at a time. They fight and then edge bails and the rest of evolution comes out. What do you think about, uh, the creative to have the GM make himself tag partners with Ric Flair at the pay-per-view.
1: And one that's allegedly, uh, uh emotionally challenged, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a stretch, man. It's just, he got a laugh the first time around. He entertained the right people. And all of a sudden he gets a call back and he comes, comes with his call back. Comes more lines, he's in more scenes. And that's where I say we overexposed him and we allowed that candle to burn much quicker than it needed to be. So, uh, it's just a lot of that stuff. There was, it had no logic. It truly was eye rolling and it was some of it was completely void of logic. And Eugene in that role, I can see him being somebody's little buddy, their sidekick, their tag team partner, a lot of things, but this is just like, okay. And I think it's done. Uh, it's like a lot of those, those casting of those roles, that whole role that this, the raw GM, the SmackDown GM, the AEW GM or whatever, all that. It's run its course, man. People want something new, something different. So give it to them.
0: Let's talk a little bit about. Vince McMahon, um, Vince is back at this show. He missed the raw prior. He had a, a bout with diverticulitis that meant he couldn't make that raw. He's back here. Did Vince, w- was he a big, uh, proponent for Eugene? It feels like something he would have been all about.
1: Yeah. Vince liked Eugene. Look, Conrad, nobody didn't, nobody disliked Eugene because you knew the guy behind the character, right? He's a sweetheart of a guy. There's no way. You could not like Nick Densmore but the character had its limitations. It had its boundaries. And for whatever reason, uh, it seems like it's a obsession in, in, in wrestling in general for people to try to, to recreate what they already have. Just change for change sake. And in just in your life in general, change for change sake is stupid. Right? So I, I I think Vince liked him. You entertained him. And then, of course, as, as we hear and we see and we know that when the writers find something that Vince likes, they write in that direction with that slant because in their their little feeble minds and their little balls that wouldn't fit into a thimble, thimble balls, they have, they'll do whatever they can or they need to to ingratiate themselves to the boss. Not knowing that he's paying attention to your ass-kissing, not knowing that he don't get it, and the best way for you to get over is to go get positive results in your your uh, job description. That might be a start.
0: So, you know, Vince, you know, I, I know you said he likes the guy, but he he loves the character. Is oh, he, he
1: loves uh, the character.
0: Is he the person who continually pushes let's do more Eugene? And then the writers just sort of monkey see, monkey do, let's appease Vince for now.
1: I don't know if he even had to say let's do more Eugene. When the writers saw that their pitches and their absurdities for that character a special needs kid uh, in roles that he didn't need to be in that I, you know, but nonetheless, another story from another time, I guess. I think they saw that Vince got a chuckle out of the guy. Look, he's named after this kid. that was a, uh, had some learning disabilities that was in, uh, his dad was an old friend of the company and it came to, came to Pittsburgh and he brought his son with him and his son was, uh, uh, I think he had down syndrome, but his name was Eugene. So the character Eugene was actually named for this special needs kid that, uh, would come to the matches in uh, Pittsburgh with his dad. And the kid was probably 40, but he he looked, you know, because of his down syndrome, he looked very young. And I know he had a real crush on Moolah. Really? God bless him. He didn't get out much. But anyway, uh, that's where that name came from. So, this kind of had a soft spot for Eugene. And, uh, so the character got an extra lap around the, around the track.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about the next segment here on the show. Batista's going to fight, uh, Kane to a no contest when Matt Hardy would attack Kane and then Ty Grisham was going to interview Hardy backstage. Who's refusing to comment on Lita. Next up, Randy Orton would pin Chris Jericho with a roll up from behind and his feet on the ropes in 18 and a half minutes so a really long match for raw. Then Hunter would, uh, jump with Eugene in an air mattress, like one of those, uh, bouncy house deals, uh, trying to manipulate him to go along with their plan. Then we would see Nydia beat Victoria and Molly Holly for a contract for a title match on a pole match. Yeah. Then Trish would knock out Lydia with her cast and pin her to fulfill her title match defense. And Trish gave Lita a hard time about being pregnant and then, uh, in our main event, triple H and Rick Flair and Eugene would be edge and Benoit after Eugene knocked out Benoit with a chair from behind as Benoit had Hunter in a cross face, 15 minutes and 45 seconds. So uh, interesting. Is that the right word for this episode of raw?
1: Yeah, it was uh, lot, There were a lot of left-handed marriages as they call it, in the booking room. Uh, a lot of things that just didn't quite fit. You know, if if you had not seen uh Eugene in all those little uh stopovers for comedy and absurdity, uh so many times, not maybe once, okay, but so many repeat appearances. Uh and he was only and you're building toward the main event, the tag team match. I get it. But you know, the audience is audience strange wrestling fans, especially nowadays, I man, they get enough of your ass in a hurry and then they move on. And as an as a talent you gotta be able to listen and observe what are you what are you doing that they're they're getting off on. And uh that's that's why memorizing these matches it doesn't work very well. But yeah, I, I like the match. I, I it just again seemed to seem to be a little bit Conrad Rick Flair, Triple H. Okay, I get it. And Eugene. So you can make the old argument. well, it's try to do something different. You're always professing new things. Fans like new, they do. I just didn't think that was a long-term deal and maybe it wasn't supposed to be. But I know that when it first started, if we had taken our time with that storyline and, and not force fed it down everybody's throat with multiple, multiple appearances on the show, then I think the character had legs. So I think he'd probably been all right as it was, it got cut short.
0: For the record, we're about to cover vengeance 2004. I guess we should give her a peek behind the curtain before we clicked record. He said, God damn, Connie, why did we pick this show? <laughs> uh, so Jr, not a super fan of vengeance so far. Fair to say fair to say, let's get to it though. Uh, it's the 15 year anniversary. It's fun to sort of look at these matches and times and history in a bit of a capsule. Um, Wade Keller is going to do our uh, write-ups for us from the torch. Uh, Tajiri and Rhino beat the coach and Garrison Cade when Tajiri pinned coach in seven and a half minutes. This match was actually announced during heat with Tajiri answering coach's challenge and picking Rhino as his surprise partner. Uh, Wade would say, what you'd expect from these four with coach playing chicken until Tajiri was hurt. Tajiri sprayed Cade with green mist late in the match and then coach hit Tajiri from behind. But Rhino then gave Cade a gore and as they brawled at ringside, Tajiri surprise coach with a roundhouse kick to the head for the pin, solid opening action. He actually liked it. Okay. He gave it a star and a quarter. Uh, how did coach feel about being involved like this? This is, uh, he loved it. Yeah.
1: He loved it. He was young and athletic, uh, you know, man about town, raconteur. Uh, he loved it and he was, you know, he, he didn't get, he wasn't really formally trained but uh, he picked it up. He knew, you know, he he got, he get through something. Uh, I, uh, Tajiri was in this match. And I, I've been a big fan of Tajiri's and Rhino. I think they're both, uh, un off the radar guys a little bit, but they're both really, really good. So uh, Garrison Kate of course left us too early, but uh, so it was not a bad little match in that regard. And it went, it didn't go too long. Seven and a half is as you can, you can stomach that. So, I thought it was all right. A decent opener, decent opener.
0: Next up, we've got Ric Flair, Batista and Orton, and they're upset that Eugene is having any sort of involvement with evolution and Hunter, says he has a plan, but he's wondering about where Eugene is and he's a little worried. And when he goes looking, he sees Chris Benoit trying to convince Eugene that he is his friend and the evolution members are not. Eugene is conflicted. (laughs) Boy, this is all about what you were talking about just overexposure eugene
1: yeah it it again the theory of pushing the eugene character is not bad but anything you know some Vince even told me this one time he said god damn Jared, I said how much ice cream can a man eat right even even so in other words even though we love ice cream we can't eat it at every meal every day we just don't do that uh so Anyway, th- that was kind of that, that scenario. I, I it's just too much. It loses edge and it's not new and fresh anymore. And every time you throw him out there, it takes a little bit more of the bloom off the rose.
0: Let's keep it moving here. We want to talk about the next match. Uh, it's Batista and Chris Jericho. Wade would say it's only an okay match. And he says Batista isn't good enough yet to be carried to an above average match by someone even as good as Jericho. Uh, Batista won when he gives an awkward sit-out power bomb to Jericho, and the ref counts to three, despite Jericho's left leg being draped over the bottom rope. Two stars. What did you think?
1: I thought it was better than two stars, but not significantly better to have an argument about it. Uh, you know, Dave was coming into his own. You know, he's he's still catching up, and Jericho been around forever. So you know, Chris was a a much more refined and had a higher skill set at that time than did, uh, Batista, but I didn't, I don't recall it being, you know, when I watched it you know, earlier this week, I thought it was solid, you know, uh, so I, I had, a. I didn't like the, the meta point that they made a point of this was that they're, you know, the introducing uh, Jericho from long Island and not Winnipeg sound like a small thing. but If you're a wrestling fan, loyalist type person. Those things like that bother you. And I think sometimes when we met those, this uh, malady, if it were one, that's when we catch a lot of grief from the non-believers. I mean, you how can you remember that shit, JR? Oh, I don't know. Just do. Just do. Yeah. Cause I love it. I love it. Maybe. Maybe that's it. Maybe you should love something as much as I love wrestling. How about that asshole? <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, according to, you know, the rumor and innuendo, and I want you to sort of set the record straight. The real deal is, uh, Vince doesn't think Canadians are relatable. So he thinks that, you know, we, we need to have all of our stars being from an American town. That way they're more relatable. Is that the same thing you heard?
1: I've heard that. I just can't imagine. He never said that to me. And we've been in a lot of meetings that are those times, a lot of meetings. I don't recall us ever talking about that. We t- I remember talking about this deal, but it wasn't, I think it was a, to, to make him a, a little bit more a refined, uh, elitist a little bit, uh, and being from long Island would more readily identify that than it would him being from Winnipeg. You know, I always thought, well, why, why can't we say he was, he's from Winnipeg, but he's now living in long Island. And and the other thing I would say is, who gives a shit? Right. So, anyway, that was a big deal, I thought, on this stuff. And, you know, so, but that's one of his deal. He woke up one day and said, Jericho needs to be from Long Island. Okay. (laughs) And nobody said nothing because it's like I used to tell Paul Heyman, you got to know what hill to die on, pal. You got to know what hill to die on. And that wasn't that hill for me. He'd be from goddamn. You know, Muskogee, Oklahoma, if you wanted to, I don't, I don't know where it is.
0: Uh, next up, we've got Eugene storming into Evolution's <laughs> room. Of course room. you do. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to have more of that. He's going to storm into evolution's locker room upset and uh, hunter's convinced him that they're his friends. And, uh, it helps when he gives him one of, uh, Rick Flair's robes and Eugene yeah. was, uh, Eugene's excited. He's going to strut and he's going to woo. It's a little overdose of Eugene. Next up, law Resistance. versus
1: you Build up now. Who could they be against, ladies and
0: gentlemen? Rick Flair and Eugene. <laughs> Damn it. That's a great bookie. So uh they go twelve minutes, twenty eight seconds. It's a DQ win. Eugene wrestles the first half of the match by imitating Flair. Flair's reacting with disgust. The crowds eating it up though. Uh, and then flair tags in and law resistance, work him over for several minutes. And in the end, Conway takes a cheap shot at Eugene by ramming him into the ring post, Eugene snaps and attacks La resistance. And when the ref got in his way, Eugene shoves him down. There's your DQ. Uh, he gives La resistance, a stunner, a rock bottom and a people's elbow. So we're getting all <laughs> of our cool stuff in two stars. What'd you think of this match?
1: Oh, uh, entertainment, you know, it's just, I, it, I guess it was booked. It laid out as to what it had to be because it really, even though it was a tag title match, uh, the champions who are, you know, Rob Conway is a hell of a undervalued guy. Uh, but they, uh, they were, they were, didn't have any heat. They had no momentum coming into the match. Uh, Eugene and Rick's another left-handed booking. Nothing if, or little, if anything in common, they brought them together. This little storyline with the evolution. That's about it. And, uh, and Rick's and tags. And I don't, I've never been a big fan of Rick and tags. This was a involving a real personal issue and wrestling. The ice cold tag champions for the title is not a hot issue. So I I went overwhelmed with it. I I don't, it wasn't, had nothing to do with the, the guy's execution, Conrad. It had to do with, they were given a cold plate to, to, to eat off of, there was nothing there. So I'm surprised I got two stars.
0: Matt Hardy is going to get a win over Kane in 10 minutes and 29 seconds. It's a no DQ match. Uh, Hardy's going to charge the ring, get in some early offense, but then Kane really dominates. Uh, eventually Lita runs to the ring and tries to beg Kane not to hit Hardy with the ring steps. Hardy surprises Kane by ramming his chair into the stairs and thus into Kane's face for the KO and then scores the pin. And after the match, Hardy told Lita, that she's pregnant with what may be his child. So she should stay away from his matches and stay away from him. And Lita looks sad. And the match is telling the story it needed to, according to Wade. And he says, Hardy looks like he has a fighting chance while still selling his underdog stature, two stars. And you and Jerry put this over as a huge win for Matt. And so you even say, I can't believe it. Um, Uh, it was,
1: it was a big win. I I don't, I don't think anybody would, you know, the, some, know everything because they have to they have to uh, I don't think a lot of people probably thought Matt Hardy was going to win and win with a one two three right so that, to me I' just go by how I felt I felt like it was an upset and I, and I didn't expect it so and a lot of fans agree with that uh, by the way so it was true I thought but yeah the this now here we're we get, first of all Conrad at this point in the show, we got to make sure we got at least one more way to get Eugene back in the show. Right. Okay. So give that some thought. And secondly, we're commencing upon a journey of pregnant women here. And it's going to be, this is where the soap opera that Vince so dearly loves started becoming into play. There's nothing wrong with pro wrestling soap opera. It's all about the execution thereof. And, uh, you'll go through this as we go on and I'll point some of those things out, but God day pregnant women and, and mentally challenged general managers. And you know, why should anybody take this shit
0: seriously? Uh, I guess we should mention this whole Kane and Lita deal here, uh, comes to a head May 17th where Kane attacks Matt Hardy and Lita promises him something for him to stop June 21st. We see an episode where Matt Hardy proposes to Lita and that's when Kane reveals that Lita's pregnant with his child, not with Matt's and that she had slept with Kane in order to protect Matt. Uh, this is right out of days of our lives. What'd you think of this storyline?
1: The demon seed has traveled his path to the womb of the one and only Lita. Uh, I thought, look, here's how this works, man. Think about this. There's no goddamn romance at all. There's no story. There's no journey. We go from having for something in somebody's ear in one month, and then a few weeks later, uh, she is uh, uh, with child. There's no chase. There's no nothing. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Was what this was. So it was a very, it was a unique story with a very unnecessary short arc. But here's the thing, it, and it didn't have any really uh, uniqueness to it because I think that there were times when we had more than one diva pregnant. A lot of virile guys back there, man. They're not all of them calling home. So, you know, uh, I I, uh, I didn't like the, I didn't, I went overwhelmed with it, but I would have liked it better if we had told a better story. And, and when you say draw something out, it's a negative connotation. But to extend the storyline in an episodic fashion is what you're looking for. Not you're going to draw it out, draw it out. is like painful. So I, it could have been done better and had nothing to do with the talents again, because they're just following marching orders.
0: Yeah. I don't know what to say about this. A pregnancy angle here with demon seed, something else, <laughs> um, Edge is going to pin Randy Orton in 26 minutes and 36 seconds to capture the intercontinental title. I think it's two and a quarter stars. Um, Wade would say the final five minutes were four stars plus easily, but the rest really dragged it down, uh, two and a quarter. They didn't really love it, but this is going to end Randy Orton's seven month reign as the intercontinental champion, which I guess is like the longest reign in like seven years what did you think of the match? And what'd you think of Randy Orton's run as I see champ?
1: I thought the match was excellent. I really did. I thought the match was uh, solid, they set a nice, uh, platform, a foundation in the early part of that, uh, performance to kind of get us in a, the mood of where we're going, what road we're traveling here tonight. And then, uh, as Wade pointed out the last few minutes where it was four or five minutes, whatever. And that too is subjective, folks. There's no hard, hard fast uh, formula for that either. It's how you feel about it. I thought the last several minutes of that match was excellent. So I thought it was one of the, both guys' better outings. You know, uh, I'm really surprised that Randy Orton is not being utilized more today than he is. He's that good. And uh, no company, including WWE, has got a plethora like that work, Conrad Pethera. I do. I do. Uh, yeah, a talent on the level, skill set level of Randy Orton. They just don't. So uh, I think he could be utilized a much more. He's a he's a very cunning, uh, mysterious at times, complex, and always provocative talent. And uh, I love his work. Uh, You know, he was one of those guys we signed that one class that went to OVW. And he's been around. He was a Hall of Fame guy, obviously. He's made a lot of money. God bless him. I'm proud of him. And he was the guy that Vince went crazy about hiring when we, when we, when we brought him into the system. Right. So, uh, but Randy Orton's, you can go back and look at different years when he's healthy. He he has MVP like seasons as long as he's booked to play in that level. Then all of a sudden he kind of fades away from the storyline the storytelling. I'd rather have guys guy fade away and just show up here or there and yawn, just give the time off. Hey, Randy, we're not going to use you for three months. You're going to get this great bill check every week. Like you've been getting and everybody have live halfway ever after rest, get healthy, stronger, tighten up your core, blah, 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 blah all the, All that stuff, those guys talk about spend time with your family. That's the main thing. So that's what you do there, but you don't just tease him, bring him back here or there and yawn. So, Randy's a big-time player, man. He's he's as good as there is. And you look at the over the course of time, I mean, it's that one class, you know, the Cena and all those guys, Brock, Batista, Shelton. Look how long Randy's gone on top. Yeah. And he's made himself a lot of money. He didn't have two pots to fish in when I hired him.
0: Let me ask you: In this match, it feels like the fans sort of get behind him too. It's it's a little weird, in fact, because Edge is supposed to be the babyface. Randy Orton's clearly the heel. He's part of Evolution, but the fans start to boo Edge, and they're chanting for Orton from the start. Eventually, you and Lawler even have to acknowledge it. Finally, there is some support for Edge. Um, he's going to turn babyface the night after SummerSlam. A little. Uh, a month after this. So the plan here is, Hey, we got to get the intercontinental title off him because we're going to crown him champion. Did you know that at this point? And did you know that we were going to kick him out of evolution the next night and make him a baby face? Or did the fans sort of make that decision for you because they're so far behind him?
1: I think the fans were. uh, uh, I think fans pull their own trigger. I don't think they're preconditioned or nothing. I, th- I think they were, uh, they pulled their own, they what they felt, what they saw moved them to their that in that direction. So uh but you know Randy's Randy is always, as long as I can remember, been in the front of mind awareness events and whomever is around him at that point in time, uh, as it uh, relates to talent positioning and utilization. Uh there's nothing Randy can't do. He's a better heel than a baby face. He's he may be more suited even that to be a character baby face a stone cold kind of guy that you can't trust, but he's damn sure fun to watch. And he does what he says he's going to do. And he's really not that nice a guy, but goddamn, I'd like to be like him. So, uh, but, but he's another guy. It's just, he's a, he's a big time player. So, uh, I, he, he was a big star in, in 2004. He, I thought Randy had a good year. I thought he had a good year that year. And, and the, here's the thing, Conrad, all the big matches that Randy Orton was booked in in 2004. And that's what you were talking about here. He delivered, right? That's all you can ask.
0: Next up, Victoria and Molly Holly, they go six minutes and 15 seconds. It's a number one contenders match. Uh, they get one star. Uh, what'd you think of this one? Molly is, uh, I guess we should remind everybody a few months prior to this. She had her head shaved by Victoria at WrestleMania 20. What'd you think of her match here with Victoria?
1: Two great hands. I think, uh, Victoria got hurt. Uh, the match had to end a little quicker than they'd planned. Uh, class acts, both ladies are credits to the business. Uh, and that's one of the nice things we talk about the, the advent. You know, I was a position to, to facilitate some of these hires when, uh, we started bringing more women backstage back in the locker room. Is what I'm trying to say, and in, in the, in the family, uh, and, um, a lot of things changed. But one thing that I'll say that changed that I haven't thought about until today and I should've, but it's important enough to me to remember to talk about here was the fact that a lot of these women, when I read the name of Victoria and especially Molly Holly, uh, and I see their name. And what it reminds me of is how, what a class act they were, how they upgraded our locker room, how they, how they're pleasant to be around. And they were great examples of what it's like to be a teammate. And some of the ladies had less ego than the men and where the men are just worried about me and the women were worried about us. And that's how I think about those ladies, but they're really, they were big time players. I think a lot of the young male athletes were, were helped by, by seeing how some of these females conducted themselves as pros. And for that, we all, we owe them all a, a debt of gratitude.
0: We get a video package next for the Benoit Triple H match. Of course, they're showing all the Eugene stuff where Bischoff is telling Triple H he can be the number one contender if he beats up Eugene. Triple H goes to attack him, but Benoit makes the save, and Benoit accidentally hits Eugene with a chair in the head. And then Triple H has manipulated Eugene and made him an honorary member of Evolution. It leads to Eugene saving Triple H from a sharpshooter, and he hit Benoit in the back of the head. Uh, leading to triple H pinning Benoit in a match on raw and triple H is going to comment that Eugene is, uh, going to play a part in triple H winning back the world title. So here it is. Chris Benoit. He gets a win over triple H to retain. And, uh, they loved it. Uh, the torch loved it. They gave it four and a quarter stars. It's a roughly a 30 minute match, pretty dramatic finish with Eugene being involved. Uh, of course, you know what it is. It's, uh, lots of uh, early teases for crossfaces and suplexes and top rope head butts, but the sharpshooter comes in about halfway through another nice submission tease. Uh, they can't say enough nice things about this match and, uh, it's going to lead to a rematch, uh, two weeks later on raw, they're going to do a 60 man or 60 minute Iron Man match for the world title. What would you think of this pay per view main event? Chris Benoit and Triple H with a little Eugene, of course.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, you, you had to take that as it was because that's been the whole build, the whole show. But again, in a perfect world, we've probably not seen as much of Eugene, which would have, by the way, made his involvement in this main event much more meaningful. Much more meaningful. Uh, the overexposure of Eugene in this show didn't do Triple H any favors. Uh, and quite frankly, it didn't do Ben Waddy favors either. It, it just split the focus a little bit and I don't like split focus when you're talking about, uh, a world title just doesn't make sense. It's unrealistic. Uh, but they, these guys had a, they had a classic, the kind of match that an announcer loves to call both of them when challenged and pushed, uh, triple H can be very, very, uh, combative. Uh, and his facial expressions show that his body English shows that because he, like a lot of the greats feel compelled that they have to be the best person in their match every time they go out. And then when you're in the main event of a pay-per-view and you're going on to last and you have that mindset, then there's that, that added motivation, uh, to be, to excel and steal the show. Well. You can only imagine how many years it was for Chris Benoit to rattle his brains all over the world to get to this level of main eventing WWE pay-per-views. That's why the WrestleMania, the headline WrestleMania 20 was so extraordinary for him and Eddie. So, uh, but I love telling that story. I thought we were on to something, but it just, it just didn't, uh, it didn't Last long enough to my taste. But we understand how it would have been cut short anyway. But uh, sad to say that. But Benoit and Triple H raised their game. They laid their shit in. They did things that were a bit realistic and believable. I didn't catch myself eye rolling or t- trying to find what, what am I going to say about this. that, That broadcast flowed because it was real, it was organic, and I believed everything I saw. Everything I saw. Because those two guys on that night were that good to demonstrate how you conduct and execute a pro wrestling match. Both, to me, it should have got five stars if it's such a thing. But they were they were great. They did everything they needed to do.
0: Go out of your way to check it out. You know, once a week I recommend a match to check out. This one's pretty good. I know that a lot of folks are not going to want to watch a Chris Benoit match, and I get it. Uh, yeah. But as far as a pay per view main event, this is pretty damn solid, even with a little. Eugene's silliness and the silliness would continue the next night. Uh, triple H is going to tell evolution the next night on raw, that Eugene cost him the world title, but he has a plan to just go along with it. And then Eugene walks in triple H sort of baby faces him, but says uncle Eric is really upset. And eventually when he meets with Eric Bischoff, Eugene hears that. Bischoff isn't mad. It was just an honest mistake. And in fact, he's going to give him a world title match later today with Chris Benoit. So of course, Eugene's excited about that later. Benoit would warn Eugene. Hey, I'm going to wrestle hard tonight. And then, uh, Benoit and Eugene go to a no contest in about six and a half minutes, Eugene thinks he's won, and then evolution attacks him, bloodies him. And this raw gets a 3.7 rating, man. This uh, overdose of Eugene just does not quit. Doesn't
1: no, not until they, they, uh, chew it up, spit it back at you. That's about when it's going to stop. That's a big problem, man. And a lot of bookers and creative types are afraid to unsaddle the horse they're riding in on that has been, has done okay for them. Because so no matter what the gimmick is, no matter what the storyline, what the talent is, talent is, everything gets old. And, every, and there's and every, some things, things that have to be relaunched, restarted, you know, uh, so that's a problem. It's a big problem. So you stay too long. You ride the same pony too long. God dang. I, I, I have never watched a lot of the, uh, Western channel cause I'm getting all these horse references now. Hmm. Well, John, John Wayne was on last night. I watched Hondo. <laughs> well,
0: you're going to have some time to watch uh, a little tube on the way to Jacksonville this weekend until next week. We'll see you around. He is at JR's BBQ. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. And our show is at JR Grilling. Until next time, we'll see you next week. So long, everybody. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together,